so from an, writing an episode as opposed to a novel, you've still got your narrative arc and, you know, it kind of stands on its own, the episode, but it's part of a longer story arc, just, just like television. I mean, we're borrowing a lot from television writer's room and the way that that uh, story production works. There is, there is nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed and bleed and bleed. I'm J.S. Leonard, and you're listening to Bleeding Ink, a podcast for fearless authors. This is episode 18. If this is your first time listening to Bleeding Ink, head over to bleedingink.fm. That's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-I-N-K.fm, and check out all the previous episodes. I've interviewed New York Times bestselling authors to award-winning editors to book sale geniuses, all of which will teach you how to engage readers and change lives. Tune in every other week on iTunes or Stitcher. And to stay up to date, follow me on Twitter. That's at JSLauthor. And visit bleedingink.fm where you can sign up for the mailing list. So hey, real quick, this week you can win a season pass to a cereal box series. One of which is actually written by Max Gladstone or co-written by Max Gladstone, who was a previous guest on this very podcast. That one's called A Witch Who Came In From The Cold. There's also Tremontaine and Book Burners and out soon Whitehall, a historical drama. Get in on this. If you write and you need to understand what serialization done well looks like, then this is for you. Plus, it's also great stories. And if you're a reader, then and there's no brainer. Get on it. You've got two weeks from this episode's air date. Good luck. Did you know that the modern day commuter makes more death avoiding decisions on their way to work than an age old agrarian farmer made in an entire year? Sounds stressful? It is. No wonder we seek hits of serotonin and dopamine from our entertainment. A fire hose of sugar water is pointed at you. Look around. Count the number of distractions vying for your attention. Social media, work, email, news, video games, the next bestseller, the latest viral video, blog post, shopping, a glass of wine, <clears throat> this podcast. The list grows in inverse proportion to our societal demands. Go to work, go to happy hour. Help the kids with homework, binge watch hours of Netflix. Do something difficult, do something enjoyable. Where attention equates to dollars... There is an attention economy, a marketplace that fosters an influx of candied products to delight, to offer a respite over a challenge, to numb rather than invigorate. It leads to peak content, where products are engineered to strip away pain, much like heroin. The problem for writers is that a bundle of words are a more challenging prospect than, say, a bundle of chocolate-dipped churros. I, I mean, Instagram pics. Churros are easy and delicious. As writers, our competition is a basket of churros. I mean, come on, it's just unfair. So this is where uh, Molly Barton comes in. She's thought a lot about how to alleviate, God forbid, the challenges of reading while keeping its integrity intact. How can she sugarcoat narrative so that it becomes a slightly sweet snack that doesn't expand the waistline? Her answer, cereals. Her company, Cereal Box. Cereal Box aims to be the HBO for fiction. Through her experience as global digital director of Penguin Random House, she recognized a shift. The shape of story consumption is evolving. People want more in less time. Serial Box produces seasons of 
short narrative episodes in ebook and audio, just like television. And television is the king of time to entertainment ratio. The power of serials lie in their ability to give readers a way to manage their time. They slice a narrative into savory mouthwads, like a chewy, crunchy, salty, sweet, bite-sized Snickers, and are tuned to the high-frequency attention band consumers operate on today. They lower the barrier to entering a fictional world, because hey, they only take about 40 minutes to read. These are just some of the advantages serials offer writers, and Molly and I get deep into the subject in this episode. So here's Molly. I know you're going to love it. Enjoy. Good day, everyone. I have Molly Barton from Serial Box on the podcast today, and I'm very excited to talk to her about a few things. One, um, her interesting approach to publishing through Serial Box and also to serials in general, which I think is a very... Um, I mean, it's, it's nothing new, but it's, I think, something that authors should really understand today um, as, a, as a potential for, for their writing and how they, how they you know, produce work. Anyways, Molly, appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh. Um, so, so real quick, just get that out of the way. You just had a, a baby, right? I did, yeah. Yeah? That's How's that going for That's congratulations. That's awesome. Thank so, you. Are you, um, are you taking a break? What are you doing right now? Uh, I took a break and back to it with Serial Box, uh, working a lot from home right now. And I'll transition back to the city um, in due course. But things are going well, and we're about to launch a serial next week so called Whitehall, which I'm really cool. excited about. Well, go ahead and tell me about yourself, and then tell me about Serial Box. Sure. Um, I've been working sort of at the intersection of publishing and technology for, um, let's see, about 15 years. And I started as an editor, um, but I spent a lot of time at Penguin Books in a variety of business and digital roles. Um, The whole time that I was doing those jobs, I was still editing. So I got to have this kind of unique um, blend of experience where I worked closely with writers throughout my career, but also worked on a lot of app development and reinterpreting content for mobile phones and trying to increase um, the level of engagement with readers uh, directly from the publisher's perspective instead of relying on um, you know retailers or third parties to make that connection. Mm-hmm. What kind of mobile app stuff did you do over there? Uh, well, I was director of digital uh, for Penguin Worldwide, so I worked on everything from, you know, the first sort of interactive book app experience uh, was Ken Follett's book, uh, Pillars of the Earth, and we collaborated with Stars Television to offer readers this experience with Pillars of the Earth where um you could read in sync with the miniseries that Stars was releasing on TV. Oh, neat. Yeah, and then there were sneak peeks of, um, you know, upcoming uh, television episodes in the app. And so you got this really hybrid experience. That was one of the first apps I worked on. That was in 2007. Oh, wow, uh, that was a while ago. Yeah, so we we I think we got it out about three months after the iPad was released. The first oh, wow. Version. That was a pretty aggressive production schedule. Right <laughs> yeah, there. and none of us knew what we were doing since the iPad was brand new. So I don't think anyone knew who, what they were doing. Yeah, then. That's, that's impressive. <laughs> how did how did readers respond to that? 
Uh, I think they enjoyed it. I mean, it, at that point, so few people had devices. It was definitely um, the focus was on um, talking about the experience, not necessarily expecting that you know hundreds of thousands of people would find it um, mm-hmm. because it was early days. Um, but you know, we we did other things like. Um, a partnership with NBC for nonfiction titles where we put archival content um, from NBC into, you know, political books or, or history books. Um, and those experiences um, were interesting. We learned a lot about sort of how to marry multimedia content. One of the, the really fun apps that I worked on uh, right before I left was um, called Poems by Heart. And we, I worked with the Penguin Classics team to take classic poems and turn um, them into a mobile phone game where you were mm. trying to memorize poetry. Um, that was really fun. Super, super strong response um, from people to that one. I, I think yeah, it was that's really cool. When I when left, you, it had been downloaded you know, over 750,000 times. So When was that? That was in probably 2013. 2013. Cool. That's great. And so how did you, how did you um, end up with Serial Box? So I kind of got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug when I was at (laughs) Penguin because... That sounds sounds like that's the case with a lot of people who work for Penguin and and other imprints. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems that way. Penguin is kind of, um, you know, if you go back through its history, you know, the founder of Penguin, Alan Lane, when he founded Penguin in 1935 the company was an entrepreneurial venture for him because paperback publishing really was not um, a respected endeavor. Paperbacks Mm. at that point were kind of dime novels, not, you know, pulpy stuff that um, didn't get a lot of respect from the establishment. Mm -hmm. And so he took um, the opportunity to license paperback rights from a lot of other publishers with the idea being that everyone should have access to great books for the same uh, price as the pack of a pack of cigarettes. Okay. And so he popularized paperbacks in a way that had never been done before. So I think that that strain of sort of doing things differently has actually come down through the company. One of the other really interesting things that he did was um, he created vending machines for books. Um, wow. Okay. And put them on railway platforms in the 30s uh, all over oh, England. Uh, oh, so Penguin uh, was started in, in England. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's that's amazing because I've seen some of these vending machines coming out now. Yeah. That are, that are, I had no idea that they were like that retro. <laughs> they were called, literally, they were called Penguincubators. Wow. Hilarious. And yeah. you can find images of them on the internet. Anyhow, so I, when I was at Penguin, I, I created a startup called Book Country uh-huh. with innovation funding from the parent company, Pearson. So I applied for funding and I was granted um, a million and a half dollars to build this um, platform called Book Country, mm-hmm. which is a place for fiction writers to um, get feedback from other fiction writers and potentially go on to self-publish on the platform if they wanted to. Book country, huh? And what happened with that? Um, that went on and, you know, continues to grow as a community of writers online. Um, and I, I realized that I just wanted to get out of the corporate publishing environment and work on, um, 
you know, new ventures and advise other startups. So that's when I started getting serious about serialized fiction. Um, and Serial Box came to be. So I had been working on serialized fiction a little bit at Penguin. I ran some experiments with fiction writers um, who wanted to publish uh, in a new way, were interested in doing something entrepreneurial, and, and they were successful experiments, you know, where we took people's audience, authors' audience up, you know, four or five-fold. Um, and so that stuck in my mind, and I kept thinking about how... Um, you know, digital ebooks hadn't really captured a lot of the advantages of digital delivery uh, mm-hmm. because it's just a digital version of of a physical book. So mm-hmm. that's that's where my thinking began. Mm-hmm. And so, Serial Box, uh, you know, I joined forces with Julian Yap um, a, more than a year ago. He and I had independently been working on serial fiction, and we were introduced by a mutual friend, uh, and literally had kind of the same pitch in mind, which is we want to be HBO for fiction. So, <laughs> I love that pitch. That's a that's a wonderful pitch. Oh, thank you. So yeah. we were kind of dumbfounded to meet um, each other and have such similar ideas about mm-hmm. how to build this business and and how to work with writers and why it might be appealing for readers. Right. So who would you say is your ideal reader? Well, uh, as you can see from our website, we're focused on um, quality, you know, entertaining reads. You know, this Mm -hmm. isn't, we're not um, focused on literary fiction, as it were, but we really want um, to entertain readers mm-hmm. and the writers that we work with, um, take that seriously. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would say, you know, we want to have everything. If you want to take the TV metaphor further, um, we'd like to have serials that are the equivalent of everything from game of Thrones to girls. Mm-hmm. Um, because we recognize that, you know, just as with television, people's reading tastes, um, aren't, you know, it's not as though they want to read science fiction. Every single book that they read is science fiction. People have a variety of interests. So mm-hmm. we'd like to offer a variety of things that we do have um, a fairly strong strain of um, science fiction and fantasy coming and up on the site already. But we've mm-hmm. also got some historicals like Whitehall launching next week. Mm-hmm. We've got some post-apocalyptic stuff coming later in the year. Mm-hmm. So it's strange. That's awesome. So, serial fiction. Yeah. What are the advantages of writing like episodic content? Like, what? Sure. Yeah. Well, why would writer? Why would a writer consider that? Um, well, I can speak from the writer's perspective, but also the readers, if you like. But from a writer's perspective, the way that we work is quite different to the rest of their career, probably mm-hmm. because. Uh, most of the writers that we work with are novelists, and so they're used to working on their own, and they're used to having a project take you know anywhere from a year to a couple of years, depending on the length of the novel. Mm-hmm. And we work with teams of writers, and they're writing episodes instead of novels. So it's much faster paced, mm-hmm. and we can complete a season of content in six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then that content is published very quickly. So uh, thereafter, so they get much faster um, feedback from readers, which I mm-hmm. they really enjoy. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, and they can t- if they want to tie in kind of metaphors or themes of what's going on in the world, uh, it's much more likely that they'll resonate um, because of the the cycle that we're on because the you know the fiction is published quite quickly. So, uh, about how many um, episodes are in a season? Typically, thirteen episodes. And those episodes up to now have been about 12,000 words each. 12,000 words each. Each each episode or season, I'm sorry. Uh, each episode. Each episode is about 12,000 words. Oh, wow. So that's pretty long. Pretty substantive, yeah. yeah. We want it to be a meaty experience. Um, and so those take about 40 minutes to read, depending on how fast a reader you are. And a little bit longer to listen because we also release audio episodes. You know, every Mm -hmm. time we release text, we also release the audio version. Mm -hmm. And it's about an hour to listen to if it's 40 minutes to read. Mm -hmm. We've been, you know, we're finding um, a range as we continue to produce new serials. Some of our episodes are going to be closer to 10,000. And if we work on um, YA, we might go a little bit shorter um, as an experiment just to see. Uh, but typically it's 10 to 12,000 words per episode. So, so, okay. Then if, when a writer's approaching writing an episode, um, uh, you know, a scene's generally around what, two, that 1,500, 2,000 words. Do they do that? Or, or sorry, a chapter would be, um, do they, do they sort of break it up into chapters or is it one long flowing piece of content? Like how does an episode work since it's in that interesting sort of like, it would be six chapters, but it's not really a chapter because an episode could be a chapter. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah, there are sections within the episodes, to be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the... But it depends on what's going on in the story. I mean, some of our some of our serials are quite episodic in the sense that they have a similar uh, story structure from week to week. Uh-huh. Um, like a procedural. Sure. Um, some of them are, are more narrative and, um, you know, one episode builds on, on the next, you know, which is the case with Whitehall, which is coming out next week. Um, you know, that three weeks might pass between one episode to the next. And so the passage of time in, in a given episode may vary greatly in, uh-huh. in that particular serial. Right. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see the advantages for, for writing in such a way. So for readers though, like what, w- what do they gain from, from consuming content this way? Sure. And and sorry, just to go back to answer a yeah. little bit more fully from the writer's perspective, I think uh-huh. this collaboration, so there are a couple different advantages. One, it's a, it's a quick schedule so they can fit it in amongst other projects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 12,000 words is, is a lot to read, but it's not nearly, you know, the length of a novel. Yeah. Um, so from a time commitment perspective, it's less. And then the collaboration with other writers. I mean, every time we get together with our writers' rooms um, to work on story concepts, one of them exclaims at some point during the gathering, this is so much fun. Right. And I can't believe we solved that problem in 10 minutes of conversation. You know, that's something it would have taken me a month or three months to work out on my own through revision. Um, so that kind of collaboration, I think, is really fun and exciting. Do you, do you fly your your writers into a single location, or do you do this remote? Oh, the writer both. writer rooms both. Both, yeah. We start yeah. with in person, and then we do a lot of uh, Google Hangouts. Yeah, no, that's that's a great way to do it. I've worked remote most of my career, and and um, usually there's there's generally a physical introduction, and that's all you really need 
and you only need to like kindle that for maybe every year <laughs> to mm-hmm. keep the flame going. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's good. It's good. That's, I think that's, that's, that's a good way to approach it. Um, and so we, that's use, awesome. the, we like use Slack talk- a lot as well. Yeah. Yeah. Slack is the best. I'm, I'm on Slack all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I, I want to get, I think I want to touch on that a little bit later about these writing teams in these rooms. I'm, I'm really interested in that. Cause that sounds like a, that sounds, that does sound like a lot of fun. Um, but so for readers though, the advantages of, 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 you know, cereal box. Sure. I began, as I referenced earlier, I started to feel like eBooks after a couple years of, of producing them and selling them while I was at Penguin. Um, I just started to feel like we weren't capturing what's interesting about digital delivery. And in fact, that while the world changes and, um, so many different things are demanding our attention and there's so many different sources for entertainment and information that reading a physical book um, can be a bit daunting because, yeah. the, because the pace is so different. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of what's fantastic about reading, but it can mm-hmm. be kind of jolting. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. and so I think a lot of people end up with books on their bedside table that they feel guilty they're not pushing through. Right. Um, and, and then when you think about the ebook version of that experience, you get excited about something, you download it, it's on your device and then you don't see it and you might not ever go back to it or read it, forget about it. Um, and, or you could end up in the experience of thinking, okay, I really want to read that, but look at all the stuff on my bedside table and I'm not even reading that. And I can't really get a sense for how long this experience is going to be <laughs> right? because I can't yeah. see the book. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I that's, can't that's quite one calculate. Of my, yeah. My biggest gripes. Right. Yeah. And it's such a big commitment. It's completely different from movies or TV. I mean, a lot of people joke with me now, you know, movies are too long. They can only watch, you know, 30 minute television shows. Um, I actually think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, But the thing is with television, I I think now is since we've had shows such as like Lost where Mm -hmm. the, 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 they can go so much deeper into the story than a movie ever could. And it's because they've broken it up into, you know, 45 minute episodes. Right. And I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, um, uh, it's a great way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's in the presentation. I mean, if you were reading the description of Lost and it said, you know, this will take you 42 hours to consume. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No way. Yeah. Um, but it gives you a way to get into it that feels manageable. Right. Um, so there's that sort of lowering barrier to entry. Um, and uh, there's also something I think powerful about savoring what you read or listened to and then waiting for the next installment rather than, than binging. So yeah. at this point, we do release on a weekly cadence. We don't we don't release all episodes of a season right. once. Okay, so so weekly releases, and you found that's that's uh, that's good for readers. That's that's what usually keeps them um, going. Well, you get the nice the effect story. of people talking about what happened in the episode online. Mm, yeah, so they can kind of appreciate it. Um, you know, it's like appointment reading, um, and so you get a more social kind of experience out of it as opposed to a solitary mm. one. Now you touched on this earlier, but is there like a different structure to an episode? Because since it is shorter, you know, it, how does that affect the pace? How does that affect the genre? Like how, how does that affect 
the, the narrative sort of mechanics? Uh, well, each we strive to have each episode stand on its own to some extent. We don't think of them, you know, as short stories or as, mm-hmm. as it were, but um, they certainly have a beginning, middle, and end, um, and 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 you know, architected plot points along the way. Um, but they fit into the overarching season plot structure, mm-hmm. uh, which we've planned out, you know, in our in our work with the writer's room. I see. Okay, that's interesting. And uh, have you given any thought to trying this out on literary fiction? Um, potentially. I mean, we certainly work with writers whose prose we feel great about and mm-hmm. um, who who are quite talented. Um, I guess the distinction I make is um, between... Um, popular fiction and and literary fiction is that um our aim is to entertain and and so that will always be i think our focus is we want to tell really entertaining stories that are very well written yeah yeah um so once a season is done Mm -hmm. what happens to that does it become a larger work or does it stay chunked up into episodes How, how do you deal with what do you what do you do with it after that um, we, well, a couple of different things. We are going to, we're partnering with Simon and Schuster on a few titles, um, to release them in hardcover and paperback. Mm-hmm. So oh, wow. We'll bind, Great. We'll, yeah. We'll bind up the, um, first season and, and publish it as a traditional book. Um, and so that will be, that will be fun. That will start this fall with book burners. Wow. Season one. Yeah. And we'll release um, a bind up of season one digitally as well. I see. Okay. Very cool. So you're, you're going to basically take like make an audio book or you mean digitally as a, as an ebook and, e-book about, and audio mm-hmm. and audio. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about ebook and, and audio and uh, versus just a, uh, well, actually, ebook and audio. Do, why? Why did you make that initial decision to release these as you know words and voice? Um, because we wanted to make the experience as appealing to as broad an audience as possible, and I think audiobooks is you know one of the faster growing segments of publishing. Um, I think people are discovering still discovering that audiobooks are not just for your grandmother or your grandfather listening in their car, that there's really <laughs> great stuff going on. And mm-hmm. we're sort of drafting off of all the great stuff going on with narrative podcasting. Um, and so mm-hmm. people are, are sort of becoming awake to the idea that um, audio is a great way to fit reading into your life. Um, and so, so that was important to us. I mean, both Julian and I are um, busy all over the place kind of people, but we want to be able to fit reading into our lives. And so being mm-hmm. able to toggle back and forth between audio and ebook is a really appealing experience. If you're commuting and part of your commute is walking and part of it's driving, um, you know, you can listen mm. the whole way. Or if you're on the subway and then you get off and you're walking, but you want to keep <laughs> going, you can read and then listen. So it just adds this element of flexibility yeah. um, to consumption that we felt really strongly about. Do you see readers toggling back and forth do you Definitely. Track that? Yeah. yeah yeah that's very interesting that's very interesting hmm. i like that a lot um 
so let's go back to the uh, the teams of writers. So how many how many teams do you have right now? Oh, that's a great question. I don't. How many know- writers do you have? Just in just a rough number. <laughs> I would say it's between between like forty five and fifty writers. Wow. Wow, I had no idea. That's that's awesome. And okay, so let's take a, a the witch who came in from the cold. Okay, mm-hmm. how many writers uh, participated in that particular um, series? That team, um, five writers. Five writers. Mm-hmm. So, what's the average number of writers per um, series? It's usually four or five writers. Four or five writers. Mm-hmm. So, so there's four series. So you have many other series coming out. In Is that why? Aha. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And and how many episodes do you have usually produced before you release it? We like to have um, at least, you know, second drafts of every episode completed before we start releasing the season because we have to allow time for copy editing and audio recording. Uh Uh-huh. And of the, so that's about two episodes per writer. Is that about right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's very, that's very interesting. And, and, um, um, wow. Okay. That's, that's cool. I like that a lot. The one thing, I mean, we do cut fairly close to the bone in terms of schedule because for a very good reason, we like to um, have some flexibility and play in the storyline mm-hmm. as we as we see how readers are reacting to it mm-hmm. um, because we want to understand you know how they're reacting to different characters and different themes um, before we kind of lock in the story. Um, especially the last few episodes, because we're thinking about how that's going to lead into the second season. Mm. Where are you um, listening to your readers? Where are we listening to them? Yeah. Like where, where are you? Oh, oh feedback? sorry. Um, yeah. We uh, direct feedback. Some people write to us directly, <laughs> um, which yeah. we love. Yeah. Um, but then a lot of conversation on social, you know, that we have, uh, people commenting on Goodreads, but uh-huh. definitely um, Facebook and Twitter primarily. Gotcha. That's really interesting. So you came from the traditional corporate publishing background, and that clearly has a different sort of approach to writing this kind of you know material. Um, I mean, you, you said you experimented with serial writing, and that worked out pretty well. But what I'm curious about is that since this has such a television-like model, did you have to go and like do some research or... Um, you know, read some books on how to how to write for TV or how to deal with those struggles because those are those are pretty different challenges, aren't they? Yes, they are. And we did a couple of different things. I mean, Julian did a lot of research on the TV industry. Um, I'm I happen to be married to a TV producer, so well, that helps because I get insight into the process from from his perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the writers that I edited when I was at Penguin have had their work optioned mm. for Hollywood, so I got exposure that way. Um, and then also, um, Book Country was a good introduction to writer collaboration. Um, but I've also worked, I've worked with writers since I was in college. I mean, I, um, I went to Wesleyan in Connecticut and Mm -hmm. I actually stayed there an extra year to work in the writing programs and I was teaching undergraduates to be writing tutors. So I've always Mm -hmm. kind of worked on this writer to writer collaboration. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's certainly a different, um, professional practice, you know, running a writer's room than editing an, an individual novelist. But mm-hmm. all these different experiences have helped me um, understand how to foster effective collaboration. Yeah. So when you're working with a writer who hasn't written sort of episodically, 
what what advice do you what what do you tell them how, like how to how to deal with that or how to approach it? Um. Well, I would say read. You know, read pilots. Read. You can find a lot of television writing on the internet. Um for free, you know, just posted uh-huh. pilots. So reading, uh, those to get a sense of the structure, um, is really useful. I mean, bearing in mind, um, the writing for a TV episode is quite different from serial box episodes because what we're writing is narrative content meant to be read, not the material, um, that's the basis for producing a show. Um, right. but you can see the structure, the story structure quite clearly because it's like only the scaffolding is there, not the house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So go read pilots and then figure mm-hmm. out, figure out how to pencil in the details. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, then you bring in your, your own natural voice that you already had before you read the pilot. Sure. Sure. So w- w- for, I mean, that, that'd be for working for serial books. I mean, do you, would you recommend that, that all writers look into writing serial fiction or serial works? Oh, no. I mean, I think plenty of people would hate collaborating with other writers mm-hmm. and prefer, you know, to to um, have the solitary um, creative experience of, of writing a novel on their own and, and have, you know, total control um, of the characters and all that kind of thing. I mean, it does, it can get sensitive sharing mm. characters across different episodes and um, having to balance, you know, people's different ideas about what should happen to them. Um But I think, you know, for people who are consumers of lots of different kinds of entertainment content, um, it can be a fun thing to explore. Mm -hmm. Do you think this could be applied to a solo writer, like just serializing their work? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A friend of mine, Michelle Miller, um, Uh serialized her own work called The Underwriting, a novel. Um, and she, um, she created, you know, a website, she put up an episode a week, um, and then she ended up selling rights to Putnam, um, the imprint at Penguin. Uh So she kind of did on her own what, what we're doing, um, programmatically at Serial Box. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, I mean, you mentioned in your email to me, you know, Margaret Atwood's Project Positron. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there, you know, serialization obviously goes back to Dickens. So it right. can it can be, <laughs> it certainly can be single authored. Um, what we're interested in at Serial Box is being able to deliver multiple seasons um, in a given series in a short period of time. So that's another reason why working with teams um, makes sense for us because we can come out with book burners season two, right. uh, you know, quite quickly. And that's actually right. coming, coming soon, coming this that's summer. Awesome. That's awesome. By the way, I love your design. Like oh, who, 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 who does your book covers and stuff? Uh, we work with different artists depending on the, the serial. Um, uh-huh. But we've worked quite a bit with an art director in Brooklyn called Charles Orr. O-R, mm. he's fantastic. What, Charles O-R, is that it? O-R-R. O-R-R, that's really neat. That's really neat. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed. I, well, what's next for Cerebux? Like, what, what do you have? I mean, I, obviously there's some amazing new series coming out, right? But, mm-hmm. like, do you have anything, any other exciting features for readers or new series you want to talk about? Or what, what's, what's coming oh, out? Well, we just released our, a new version of our app. Okay. Um, we're excited about that. Um, one of the features that was most 
often requested in the first few months of operation. You know, we just, bearing in mind, we just launched in uh, late September last year. So it's still quite a young company. Um, And so early reader feedback was, we love serialization, um, but we want to be able to buy the whole season at once. Like people who are used to the kind of iTunes experience where you can buy a whole season of a show or a whole album. Like if you've bought one track and then you want the rest, mm-hmm. the like complete my album kind of function. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So we have now season passes, um, in the app and on the website, um, mm-hmm. which was interestingly far and away what people wrote to us most about. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's available now. And then, as I said, we've got Whitehall, uh, which is set in 17th century England, mm. uh, Charles II's court. And the main character is his Portuguese queen, Catherine, uh, wow. as she kind of comes to England and makes her way through um, politically treacherous times. Um, so that's coming out May 18th. Mm-hmm. And that's 13 weeks. And we've got Book Burners Season 2 coming after that in early summer. And a post-apocalyptic serial coming in early fall. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. So where can people find out more about you and Serial Box? Oh, well, they should come to the website, SerialBox.com. Or and that's to- Serial S-E-R-I-A-L, not Serial, like the Correct. food. <laughs> okay, just to make that distinction. Definitely. Like the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Serialbox.com um, or to our Facebook page. To your Facebook page. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been awesome. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I, I actually, I hope to have you on again sometime. and We can talk more about where you're taking this company and what, what how authors can take advantage of these kinds of things. It's great. And also oh, viewers thank too. You. Thank yeah. you. It's great to be on. Thank you. Thanks to Molly Barton and Serial Box. Don't forget to head over to bleedingink.fm and click on Molly's episode to enter the Serial Box giveaway. The ink is run dry. See you next time.